You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you have questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, really just about anything at all. Well, you've come to the right place because that's what we do here. We take your calls. We answer your questions about business, about trucking, about life, about personal development, health, fitness, you name it. We'll tackle it here on the air. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give us a call. I'm going to get to those calls in just a little bit. We are currently working on testing fitness tracking devices, and I'm actually looking at anything that can help keep us healthier and more fit. So there's a whole group of products on the market that are activity trackers, uh, and there's a whole range of price and features. So I'm trying to test Oh, I don't know how many we're going to test. I think we're up to uh, four or five different models. I've got another one coming probably today. I think I'll start playing around with. Uh, and, and here's what I can tell you. I, I can't find a huge difference in the devices. Basically, what it seems to be, for the most part, is the more you're willing to spend, the more features you're going to get. Then after that, it really just comes down to which software do you like best and what connects up with what. Uh, For example, I have a Fitbit, and the Fitbit band measures steps and calories and distance and lots of things. And then it syncs to an app on my phone, and it also syncs online to a dashboard where I can see all the data. It also has a scale that that measures body fat and BMI and weight. And when you step on the scale, it connects to your dashboard and updates. And I thought that was going to be just a killer feature. And it's kind of nice, but honestly, I'm probably, once I get into a routine, because remember, this needs to become a lifestyle. This isn't about short term or a certain diet or, and and I'm not going to check my weight every day. Yeah, I'm kind of doing it now just because I'm getting a feel for things. But ultimately, I mean, I can't see checking my weight more than once a week. And honestly, I'll probably get to the point where I only do it once a month. Uh, weight isn't all that important to me. I do care much more about body fat, but the other problem that I found out, the scale is just not very accurate when it comes to body fat. Uh, the first time I got on it, it showed my body fat at 20.2%. I actually thought that was correct, but the next day I got on it, it was 24%. And I know that's virtually impossible. Your body fat content can't change that fast. Your weight can. But your body fat to change 4% in a day, I thought, well, that's not a good sign. So the next day it was 26 something. And I thought, I, don't, I know 
26 is not accurate. And it, it really fluctuated a lot. So what I did was I went and uh, I, I did the bod pod. And if you haven't done that, I would recommend it. it it's a, a much more sophisticated device that measures your body composition. So it measures weight, but more importantly, it measures body fat and lean mass. So those things tell us two different things. I could have low body fat and low lean mass, or I could have low body fat and high lean mass, which is actually what I'd rather have because what we're measuring with lean body mass, it's measuring everything except fat. So it's measuring bone. Well, I don't really need to know much about that. It's measuring water and some other things. But ultimately, what we're shooting for is we're trying to figure out how much muscle mass we have. Once you know your lean body mass, most of those factors won't really change. You know, the amount of bone you have really isn't going to change significantly. And those other factors, as long as you stay hydrated, that's not going to change much. But lean body mass, the, the muscle, we can change. And I want more of that. I want more lean muscle. So my goal is to get my body fat. And by the way, my body fat turned out to be 17.2%, I believe, in the bod pod. So the scale, the closest that it ever got was the first time at 20%, but it was all the way up at 26, which is way off. I mean, that that's not even good information. So the scale I thought was going to be a cool thing. Not so much because one, it's not very accurate for body fat. And two, even if I had a really accurate way of measuring this, I would still only do it at most once a week. And to go enter that into my own dashboard is easy. It takes 30 seconds. So that those are the kind of things I was hoping to learn. What what works, what doesn't work, what is really useful information. For the most part, what I'm finding is that the fitness bands, and I've seen them all the way down in the $40 range, they seem to work just fine for tracking activity. If you're not looking for real detailed specific, if you just want to know how many steps did I take today, how much did I, how far did I travel, Roughly how many calories did I burn? I'm not sure how accurate it can be on that, but it helps. It's a number. What I'm finding is really it, it, the biggest criteria is how much money do you want to spend? Now, if you spend more, you can get more features. If you spend more, you can get bands that um, have heart rate monitors built in, which is good information, something I'd like to know. Some of them can track more complicated activities like swimming. If that's important to you, you're probably going to want to spend more money. But I, on, I, I would highly recommend, if you're not sure, grab one of the 40 or $50 bands and just start playing around with it. The information is good. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get to the calls in just a couple minutes. Uh, just to let you know, uh, we are. I, I'm also going to be talking about this topic in more detail tomorrow uh, with Kim on our podcast, Destination Health. Uh, if you're on this call, I'll, I'll give you the time and the phone number and you can join us for that. It's going to be uh, Friday the 23rd at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And the number to join is 347-324-3285. That's Destination Health with Kim Cockerham. I'll be joining her for the show tomorrow. And I'll give you more detailed information. And, and I believe, like I say, between now and then, I'm going to start testing another band. So I'll have some more information on that one as well. And uh, you can just expect that we're going to continue with this kind of information. I'm testing sleep tracking devices, testing the activity bands, looking forward to the Apple Watch coming out. I think that's going to be one of the best devices if you're willing to spend that kind of money. So we'll keep you updated as we go. I'm going to head to the phones. Let's go to Oregon. Rebecca, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's on your mind today? Well, I really like the new direction that you're going, and, and I do have some thoughts about that. But the main thing that I wanted to tell you about and share with everybody was this absolute amazing customer service story that I experienced back around Thanksgiving. Um, Seth and I lost my mom, and um, we were under a load. My mother lived in Evansville, Indiana, and we were under a load going to Louisville, it was a very high-value low. We had a trailer full of Nintendos. And I knew she was sick, and we were going to go deliver. And then our company said, well, you know, just, just deadhead back up to Evansville and go spend some time with her when you get done. And we got to Evansville, and we started getting these panic calls from my family. You've got to get here now. <laughs> and so we're like, you've got to come to the hospital. And we're like, where are we going to how can we do this? You know, we're, we're under this load. We've got this 53 foot trailer behind us. And my mother was, um, in Deaconess Gateway Hospital in Evansville, Indiana. And the nurse on duty called security and arranged for them to meet us at the edge of the hospital campus and allowed us to back our trailer up to their, um, energy plant so that we could go in and be with my mother before they put her under morphine so that we could say goodbye to her. And then they sent a security guard over to guard the trailer because, like I say, we were under a million-dollar load. Yeah, wow. And we were just so blown away by, you know, that they did this for us. It was just absolutely amazing that they would do that. And when we got there um, and the guard showed us where to, to, back, where to back the truck up and um, then she took us up, she, she took us, you know, drove us back up to the, um, to the hospital entrance so that we could get up there and get into ICU because the doctor wanted to, you know, get my mom, you know, off of life support and onto morphine so that she could pass, so... It was just an absolute amazing customer service story. And 
I think um, it was an inspiration to me to see how you can really, really reach out and help people. Um, and it was just something that I think all of us can learn a little bit from. And so I wanted to share that with everybody. Well, thank, thank you so much. And, and so sorry to hear of the circumstances okay. around him. And, and uh, you know, th- this job clearly has some challenges and, you know, that's one of them. A- anytime we have tragedy in our life, it, it's always hard, but it, this job makes it much harder because you never know when, where you're going to be and what, what you're going to be responsible for when it happens. So I, I, I love the fact that you had such a great experience around such a tragedy and that you're willing to share it. And, and I want to add something to that. You know, if you look at the history of healthcare in our country, there was a time when most of our hospitals probably would not have scored very well when it come to, came to customer service. You know, emergency rooms were horrendous. Wait times, we would hear of these horrible wait times. And, you know, they weren't very good at at triage. You know, you'd have somebody in there for the sniffles and they'd take them before somebody who's got a limb missing. Um, it, and, you know, we heard a lot about, you know, doctors not really um, spending much time with people and, and hospitals neglecting people. And And honestly, if you look at the last I would say about 20 years, um, and certainly in the last 10, I think hospitals have done a tremendous job to improve that kind of stuff. And, and I see it all over the place in a lot of hospital systems, and that's encouraging. You see hospitals now that keep their, they, they post their wait times. And, you know, they brag about their wait times because they've got them down so low. And I, I just see much better care and customer service that's the good news. What I'm hoping doesn't happen is looking around at what Obamacare's done with, with a lot of things. I'm hoping that trend doesn't start to go the other way. You know, if you compare our free market as much as we could call it a free market hospital system, and you compare how much they've improved over the last couple of decades, and then you look at our VA system and the reports I get, I've never been in that system, but I read a lot about it and I talk to people. It's the opposite. I mean, horrible wait times. Customer service isn't that great. The care, nobody seems to be all that excited about. People tend to go because they have to. It's what they have and it's what they can afford. But they'd rather go to a private hospital. They, they would get better care. You know, it's kind of the same thing we hear from the Canadians. A lot of the Canadians love their health care system. But a lot of them also say, you know, if it were a real emergency, I'd rather be in the U.S. Or if if I need a procedure, I'd rather be in the U.S. I don't want to be put on a waiting list and have to wait six months. So I think that that our hospital system has been getting much better. I just hope it doesn't get turned around because of what we've done with Obamacare. Well, we were really very, very grateful to them. Um, And um, also, it... You know, you've been talking a lot about meditation, and it actually ties into what happened with Seth and I in that. Um, and this is kind of woo-woo, so I... <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay with you. <laughs> I hope this isn't too far out there, but it was actually because of driving the truck that I was able to develop a meditation practice. And I, I found a workbook in A Course in Miracles, the book A Course in Miracles. There's a workbook where they have a meditation exercise for you to do every day. And this is going to hook back up in just a second. Um, and it teaches you 
step-by-step how it is that you can get your mind to, to quiet down. But when you are, when you do have your mind quiet and aligned, you're able, this is really woo-woo, but you're able to connect with the universe in a bigger way than you are when you're so self-involved. And we, we had not asked for that load. That load got it, because we're under fourth dispatch still. But we were, we were, given that load. And I think it was just because we were so connected, you know, with what was going on because of the meditation practice. So um, anybody that's trying to get into meditation, I really highly recommend the workbook from A Course in Miracles because it teaches you about your thoughts, you know, what your thoughts are, how to control your thoughts, what your feelings are, how to control your feelings, and just how to really use that meditation space. So I really do um, recommend that to people. It's been really, really helpful to me. And who, because I came from a very different world, and I never in my life imagined that I would drive a truck, and now I've done it for over a decade. Um, And it's just that whoever would say, through driving an 18-wheeler, I've developed spiritually. I've developed my spiritual life because of it. But that's what happened to me. So I'm well, you know, Yeah, and, and let me throw something out there. For, for teams, that, that downtime when you're in the truck and you're kind of limited what you can be doing. You know, when you're at home, there's like a, a thousand distractions every day. I can remember the little bit of team driving I did. I I really tried to use that downtime to my advantage. I would study software. I would read. I would take college courses online. Anything to fill up a little bit of that time. And and meditation would be a great thing. I, I, I am a firm believer in meditation. And we will figure out that this isn't as woo woo as we think it is, that there is a real clear explanation why things improve when we meditate. And and I can tell you some already. When we don't meditate, our minds are are overstimulated all the time now. In our society, there is so much information and so much stuff happening that we're absolutely overloaded with input all the time. And because of that, we don't have time to just get quiet and think. And when we do get quiet and think and we start meditating, one of the things they've proven is absolutely proven this, that meditation changes the time between uh, a stimulus and a response. Mm -hmm. And what we've all become wired to just immediately respond to every stimulus that happens. And we're bouncing all over the place where our phones are making noises all day long. And we're looking, Oh, what did I, did I just get another text? Did somebody leave me a voicemail? Our emails, Facebook, everything's going off all day. And we get to the point where we start responding immediately to everything. That's not good. We need some time in between to process. And that's really what, what meditation is doing, even, even when you're not meditating, but if you do meditate every day, your brain gets better at seeing the stimulus, thinking about it, and responding with, with more thought and not just an immediate reaction. And, yeah, and you'll be and, so and, much, yeah, you feel better because I don't yeah. feel good when I'm cranky. 
exactly. And you'll feel you'll feel a lot better. And I need to tell you when we get done, I need to um, talk to Lisa. But I was listening to this book um, by the Buddhists called Mind Training, and they were talking in there because you know the resistance in the um, the the book that we've all read, which yeah. I don't want to say the what? name wrong. The, the War of Art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, how do you overcome the resistance? Well, sometimes there's something to be learned from the resistance. Right. And if you look at it and you're going, okay, why am I experiencing this resistance? And that happened to me the other night in Texas. I, I had to go to the bathroom so bad, and it was way late at night. And so I pulled into a parking area, and, Kevin, I couldn't get through. <laughs> it was oh, parked yeah. up on both sides. And oh, I looked yeah. back down the ramp, and I saw some trucks. I saw it was empty at the back, and I saw some trucks, like, pull in and turn around, and I thought, okay, I'm going to put my flashers on, and I'll do that. I'll back down. I'll turn around. Then right. the truck pulls in. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to wait until Seth is awake. That happens in 90 minutes. We're going to have to get out there with flashlights and walkie talkies and to do right. this safely. So I thought there's nothing I can do, but park and take a nap. You know, I was yeah. tired. It was the end of the shift. I had a little time on the load. I parked. What happened 90 minutes later, truck in front of me moved and we could get through. There you go. So, yeah. you know, there you are. And hey, listen, bone mass is important for women. And that is that, something they do need to monitor when they get older. So. Yeah, there's no question what, it, what I meant by that. And I knew somebody was going to bring that up. And I almost went into the explanation, but I will now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bone mass does change over time, but it, it's not something you could measure every week. No. It, 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 and, and even the bod pod in short term, wouldn't tell us much because it doesn't distinguish between bone mass, water, muscle. All it can tell us is here's how much of your body is not fat. It's mm-hmm. bone, it's water, it's muscle. Mm-hmm. The one thing that does change and could change pretty consistently over time of those things that I do want to monitor is the muscle mass. Right. So, you know, yeah. if I do a bod pod once a month or even once a quarter, I would be looking for my body fat to go down and my my lean mass to go up. And and then maybe once a year, um, you could figure out bone density or something like that. So you're absolutely right. Bone density does matter and it can change, but it changes much slower over time. So I'm going to put you back on hold. Uh, Lisa can pick up and we're going to continue on. I do need to let everybody know I had kind of a uh, technical glitch there. So I'm going to restart uh, the program. So it's going to sound like we're doing a whole new show, but I'm just going to continue on with the calls. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Actually, welcome to the show. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, you name it, 
you're in the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all of those topics and more. And I'll tell you what, we're just going to get right to the phone calls. Let's go to Nebraska. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What can I help you? Hey, I got an oil sample there, I believe, uh, an oil sample that's a bypass filter system. Let's take a look at what we've got here. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the truck. What year and what engine? Okay, it's an ISX Cummins. It's a 2009. It's had an end frame about, uh, oh, I put on about 80,000 miles since the end frame. All right. Uh, so let's see what we've got. It takes me just a couple minutes longer to look at these because it's not uh, the OPS, which I'm used to. It's got all the same information. I just have to. Sure. They put it all. So looking at the contaminants, which is where I usually try to look first. Uh, nothing to speak of in there. The physical test viscosity looks good. Uh, no fuel dilution. Soot looks good. Uh, have you looked at this sample yet? Yes, I have, Kevin. Uh and that's kind of one reason why I wanted to call you is it's an 80-20 blend synthetic. Okay. okay. And I was what I wanted to ask you was, with this kind of mileage on a new engine, can I go ahead and switch over to 100% synth synthetic oil? Yeah, you know, there, there's, there's really only one concern when we talk about whether or not we should use synthetic oil. And let me just say this. Synthetic oil would never hurt an engine, ever. Even if the engine shouldn't have it in there, it wouldn't hurt it. The only right. downside to putting synthetic in certain engines is if they have a lot of wear in the cylinders, you're just going to burn a lot of oil. But even that, unless it's a DPF engine. Now, if it's a DPF engine, we do want to be concerned about oil consumption and we want to keep it to a minimum. So if we had a DPF engine that was burning a lot of synthetic yeah, I would probably say we need to switch back and maybe even add some Lucas to thicken it up because that burning oil creates havoc in that DPF. It, it clogs it quickly, creates all kinds of problems, and that would get expensive. So the uh -huh. little bit of benefit we would get from running a synthetic, in my opinion, wouldn't be worth the trouble it was causing. So the real key, the real question I need to ask is, with your current blend, 80-20, now is that... 80% synthetic or 20% synthetic? 80% uh, synthetic. Okay. And what is the current oil consumption with that blend? Oh, golly. I, I, I sample every 10,000 miles, Kevin, and I put about a maybe a gallon every other sample to be real truthful. Then so, I wouldn't worry about it. That That's not enough that it's really going to cause any problems and you're getting the benefit of having the synthetic. So, yeah, you could go to full synthetic on this. Now, you may see a, a slight increase in the oil consumption, but that may even even out over time. Okay. 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 I appreciate your time, Kevin. Uh, thanks for the show, buddy. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's... Uh, Let's go to Missouri. Pete, well, oh, hold on. Pete, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Good, I, got a question. I got a question on your signature trailers. 
I've been looking at that. I've, you know, I've been an owner-operator for 37 years. I'm thinking about getting my own authority, and I, looking at your trailers, I love the way you spec it out. My only question is, is that company willing, like, to put belly boxes underneath? You know, I carry a lot of stuff that I usually use some of it for the work, the type of work that I do, and I carry a lot of my own parts and stuff also. So, God, I was wondering, are, are they flexible enough to put, like, a belly box underneath the trailer? You know, what? let me address the belly box first. The biggest issue we're going to run in with the belly box is can we mount it somewhere where it doesn't negatively impact the under tray system? Because that is the, you know, the design we decided to go with was the under tray for lots of reasons. And as long as we could configure belly boxes that wouldn't interfere with that, yes, I'm sure they would do it. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm 90% sure. I do know that we've we've had them install side doors on trailers, uh, you know, and that certainly wasn't one of our specs, but somebody wanted a side door. They did that. We spec'd our logistics post 49 inches, and we know that's wide for a lot of people. They want more. So I know they've changed the uh, logistics posts. They've put in horizontal posts for people. So they have done modifications on, you know, uh, logistics posts, doors, those kind of things. So yeah, I would think they would do belly boxes again, if we can make them work with that under tray system. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Cause right now I'm pulling a Kentucky, you know, with the belly boxes and believe it or not, but, uh, mine's, uh, uh, 2000, 12 and my fuel mileage has increased you know and all they did is just put a little bit of plastic below the belly boxes you know to extend them downward a little bit uh i would have put them a lot closer to my tandems so that way would the air would go around it uh but i sort of like the hole underneath being belly boxes because let me tell you you can put a lot of stuff underneath there Oh, yeah. I, I, I love having storage, you know, because I like being prepared. I like taking supplies and tools and parts and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I, I can certainly see where they're beneficial. And my only question, again, you know, can we make them work well with the smart truck system? Now, the good news is I will be spending the day uh, with the CEO from smart truck here in a week or so. Uh, talking about some projects we want to work on. So I can certainly run that by them as well. You know, what kind of experience do they have putting on the belly boxes? Have they done any testing? Uh, I'll run that by them because that's a good question. But yeah, I, I can't see that they wouldn't do that on a trailer. I'm sure they would. Right. Because everything else, you know, about your specs, I love. And yeah, probably some of the E-Track, you know, I would like some uh, vertical you know, probably 30 and 60 inches high. Uh, that seems to come in handy. That way you can handle just about anything that they throw at you inside there, you know, with the logistics. Right. Uh, and, and, any, and I do know, ahead. like, they've they've done just about anything somebody wanted with logistics posts. Okay, great. Uh, well, I'll look, keep listening and see what you call it, uh, if you, you know, get any feedback from... Uh, the gentleman you talk to. Uh, yeah, we'll do. Uh, you know, as soon as I know that kind of information, I'll 
you know, I usually talk about it in one of my opens or post it up on Facebook or both. Okay, great. Yeah, because I, I try to listen as often as I can and, and appreciate you having the program there. Tell you the truth, at 64, I've learned a few things. You know, you get uh, sort of in the groove and you don't, you stay in the groove and you don't get out of the groove until somebody gives yeah. you a push and all of a sudden, well, let's try that. And I, I, I've slowed down now for the third year. And now my problem is at the end of the year, I always have to look at spend my money at because I didn't count on that, on the fuel savings. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I do that sometimes too. I get in a rut and I've got to force myself to get out. But you know what they say about a groove or a rut, right? No, <laughs> tell me. It, it's just a grave with the ends kicked out. Oh, I, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like so, that. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you keep that picture in your mind and think about, boy, I'm in the groove. Yeah. It, it's more like you're stuck in a rut and that's nothing but a grave with the ends kicked out. Uh, that's a little too close for me. So. I think about that and then I force myself to get out of that because that happens to me. You know, I, I'll, I'll be working hard on something and I'll finish a project and I'll get comfortable and I think, oh, this is kind of nice. But you know what? It, it's not. It's nice to rest once in a while. It is. But I think that as humans, we were designed to keep growing. And, and I certainly hope at 64 and 74 and 84, I'm still learning and breathing stick around we'll be right back with more stuff check out the website it's letstruck.com i'm kevin rutherford we'll be right back Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. A uh, couple things, and then I'll get right back to the calls. You know, we've been talking a lot about health and fitness and tracking it and, and that kind of thing. And I, I committed to staying very, very active up front. I want to front load my habit of activity. And that can be walking, running, riding the bike, playing with the dog outside, swimming. Just something that gets me out of the chair, gets me moving, gets my heart rate up a little bit. And I committed to doing it every single day for 90 days straight because I wanted to preload it. And I can tell you when you do that, 
the resistance will step up and challenge you constantly. And I, I kind of ran into a little issue just yesterday where I, I really, I, I didn't sleep good the night before. And I woke up and I was just exhausted. And I thought, ah, you know what? I, I just need to get moving and I'll be fine. And I got moving. I got up. I worked. And, and the thought of getting on the treadmill or doing something active, I, I just had no energy whatsoever. And honestly, I ended up going back to bed and spent most of the day just reading. And, you know, I thought, okay, you missed a day. And, but it, it was a very, very tough call. Is it the resistance? Do I just need to push through? Or was I so tired because I've been pushing too hard? And I took a day off and I'm still wondering, you know, so just know sometimes in the beginning, even though you're doing everything right, I'm eating better, I'm sleeping better most nights, I'm getting the exercise and the activity. And in some ways I feel worse. I'm sore all the time. Uh, I'm a little tired and I, I, I need to figure out, am I overtraining? Am I not getting the right nutrition? I don't think that's it. Or is it just this is just what you have to go through to get back in good enough condition to be active. And, and I think that's what it is. So I, I'm not going to totally back off. I'm going to try to get back. I don't want to miss again today. So I'm going to do an hour of activity today, but I'll make it light and I'll see how I feel. But just know in the beginning, you might be doing the right stuff and feeling worse for a little while. And you just have to get through that. Let's go to New Hampshire. Jason, welcome no, no, to the program. Hey, how are you, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? Good, good. Well, yesterday, or your last show, rather, you had talked about haters because you stirred the pot and people yeah. didn't like it. Well, I just have to say, I love the way you handle the haters. And I have one thing to say to them. The magic of thinking big. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yep. And, and I will tell you that if you start thinking big... And the bigger you think, the more the haters will come out. Like, haters yeah. don't like people who think big. And, and they'll use that. They'll use it to ridicule you. And you know what? For a lot of times, what they do is effective. You know, if somebody steps out of their comfort zone and they get enough pushback from people like that, yeah. they'll back off. They'll start to doubt themselves. And that's a shame that we do that. We need everybody to think big. One of the examples that he uses in the book is you have an employee in the company and you know, he's a lower level guy. And if he says to a coworker, Hey, I'm going to be CEO one day, that's going to happen. But if you go to the CEO and say that he goes, huh? And he wants to hear about it. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and I agree that is definitely and there's some psychology behind that and, and it's pretty well explained and most people like that feel very threatened by people who think big because for whatever reason, they haven't figured out how to do that. It's not that they're not capable of it. They certainly could, but they don't. The people like that who, who spend a lot of time criticizing other people or being critical of other people. And look, we're all that way. I fight against that all the time. I can be very critical of people and, and I work really hard at not being critical. 
to the point where I, I really try to get through a day without making a negative comment about a specific person. Now, I might come on and talk about the haters in general. Um, I might point out somebody specifically. It, and even then, I sometimes think, ah, you know what? It would be better if I just ignored them. I do try to use the things they bring up occasionally as lessons. But there's a fine line between using what they do as a lesson and, and criticizing or ridiculing them. I, I don't even want to do that. I, I just think that, you know, what other people do is really none of my business. What I think they do that might be, I might consider it dumb or nonproductive or whatever, but it's not my life. It's theirs. So I, I, it, it's one of the things that I know I can be critical of people and I work very hard to try not to be uh, just because it, there's, there's not a lot of point in it. Now, if somebody's asking me for advice, clearly I'll tell them what I think they might be doing wrong, what they could do better, but that's very different. They've asked for it. Just in general, talking about people, I, I try not to gossip. I try not to be overly critical and I try not to point out when, Somebody's doing something that maybe I just don't agree with. Let's go to North Dakota. Mike, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Kevin. Uh, Good afternoon. What, I, what I got a question about today is what is the draw point on a truck? Um, I, I just paid my truck off here five days ago and uh uh, what what is that point where you stop putting money into it, start uh, looking at getting something different? Because I, I where I draw confusion is, you go buy a ten thousand dollar truck, you could easily put forty grand into a ten thousand dollar truck. So where you know where where's the difference between what I have and uh, doing something like that? Well, first of all, let's talk about what year the truck is that you have. What year is it? I got an 07. Okay. So, and the reason that I ask that is because he, if you've listened to the show, you know I'm not a big fan of trucks with emissions. Anything after 04 for me is what I consider emissions. When we started with Acert on the Cats, EGR on all the other engines, those trucks just don't excite me. I, I don't want to own one, and I wouldn't put much money into one of those. And I need to clarify, because if we're talking about a pre-emission truck, no EGR, no ACERT, none of that, my limits are much, much different because that is the kind of truck I want to own. They, they can be very dependable. They, the cost to operate them can be very low, and there's nothing about them we don't know how to fix. So that's a whole different animal. I even, we had a project once and a couple things got in the way, but we were in the progress of putting $75,000 into a truck that we paid $5,000 for. And I didn't see anything wrong with that at all. I was going to have a seventy-five dollars or $80,000 truck but it would have been worth it. it. It would have been new. It would have been very custom inside. It would have been very, very fuel efficient. The maintenance cost overall would have been very low because the way we were going to build it. So to me, there's a tremendous amount of value in that. 
but I would never put that much money into your truck because we could put all that money into your truck and your emission system could still give us nightmares. And we don't know how to fix it. I mean, I wish we did, but our hands are tied every time we turn around. Uh, We can't alter the emissions legally, so that's a problem. So now we have to keep everything on the truck original and figure out how to keep it all working right. And I don't know how. And I think even when we learn how, we're going to find out it's outrageously expensive. So in your case, I would go back to my, let me go back in history. Before we ever got to emissions, I used to talk about replacing trucks all the time. I was upgrading trucks constantly. I was looking for new trucks, new technology, because things were getting better every year until we hit emissions. And then that changed everything. So I used to do this this question purely by the numbers. You know, it used to cost us about six cents a mile to maintain a truck every year. That was everything. Repairs, tires, I was tracking it all. If you were doing the, the right stuff, You could maintain a truck for about six cents a mile. If a truck got to the point where it was costing 12, that's when I would tell people it's probably time to get rid of that thing Um, because you could go out and buy a better truck less expensively than trying to recondition this whole truck. That's but see, when we're talking about pre-emission trucks now, they're all more than a decade old. If you're going to own one of those, you just have to spend a lot of money to recondition them. But to me, that's worth it. Now, if we're talking about an emission truck, I'm going to go back to my old standard. When this thing starts costing us too much money, why not just get rid of it and go get something else? It's cheaper to go get another truck than it is to try to keep this thing running. So I I hear the music. Let me get to a break. I'll come back. We'll see if that helps or not. We need to dig a little deeper. We will stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. I've got Mike in Indianapolis with a tire question. I'm going to bring him on, but I've also got Mike Beckett, who I imagine is probably in Iowa today, but could be anywhere in the world. Um, I'm going to bring him on as well. Mike Beckett, welcome to the program. Where are you today? Well, thank you very much, sir. Actually, I'm sitting in my office in Des Moines, Iowa. No big deal. Ah, all right. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, I've got Mike in Indianapolis on with us as well. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks. I, I've been um, chewing through tires on this trailer 
um, I don't know why it's never happened in all of my career before, but it's like I could put on a decent tire and I'm starting to lose pieces of tread in the middle of the tire. Why is that happening? Ooh, okay. Um, first of all, is this a new trailer to you or is it a trailer you've been riding? Uh, it's a new trailer to me. Um, this, this one. And I had another trailer where I had that problem as well. Now they have the, um, the automatic tire inflation system on it. Okay. And have you checked the actual inflation in those tires? The placement? The pressure. I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, you got to check the actual inflation in each tire with a gauge. Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't. No, I have not checked that. Okay. A lot Recently. Of these, a lot of these self-inflation systems don't work consistently. They have mechanical issues. And although the system is on there and you think your inflation is right, it's not. And if you run a tire underinflated, you can tear center pieces out of the tire. Okay. So that's the first thing I'd be checking. Now, is this tire wear pattern on one particular tire or two particular tires or all the tires, or is there any way to put a pattern to it? Um, no, no pattern that I can tell yet. It's been kind of been kind of random. And I have okay. I have checked when I had the other trailer and I had that problem. We had the inflation system up, but we had it disconnected. So I was checking the pressure on those, and the pressure was even. I was still losing chunks out of the middle occasionally. Okay. Okay, then the second question, let's assume the inflation is okay, all right? What inflation are you running? Uh, 105 to 110. Okay. Do you realize that, I mean, is this a normal two-axle trailer like we'd run in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. And you're carrying normal 34,000-pound weights on your trailer pairs? Yes. According to the tire manual, that tire only requires 75 PSI to adequately carry the load. Now, nobody runs 75 pounds back there. Everybody runs typically between 90 and 100 pounds because a little overinflation is better than any underinflation. But by the time you get to 105, 110 pounds, you could really be coning that tire up and making it round instead of squatting, and you're losing the appropriate footprint. It could be that you're simply way overinflated on the tire. Okay. Now, with the auto inflation, is there some way to adjust that? Depends on the brand. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to buy them set at a certain pressure. Sometimes they're adjustable. Okay? Okay. So, but when you lose the center part of the tire, I'm automatically concerned about inflation. Now, if you lost the center part of a pair of those tires side by side, I'd be looking at the brakes, something hanging up and causing both of them to do. But when you're losing only on one tire and not its mate, well, that can't be anything in the wheel end. It has to be something in that tire, and then and the logical thing is inflation. Okay. Now, okay. Mike, can I hear you correctly yeah, that, that both overinflation or underinflation could cause problems? Yes, both can cause it. Got it. Okay. Okay. 
are you are you putting pairs of tires on? In other words, they're both Michelin's or they're both Goodyear's, or do you have mixed brands running next to each other? Um, I have them paired right now, and then I just noticed that there's a big chunk out of the center of this one because I had problems before, and I bought a couple of used tires and put on there that were pretty good, and they were paired up. Mm -hmm. Okay, as long as they're paired in brands, usually that resolves the mechanical issue between the tire designs. But then the second thing is always inflation. Okay? Okay. Okay. Great. Now I feel Let like it's done. <laughs> but, there you go. All right. Thanks a lot for your help. Good well, stuff. All right. Thanks. Hey, Mike, uh, while we got you here and we interrupted the middle of your busy day, why don't you uh, tell everybody about your show? It, and one of the biggest reasons we started your show was just exactly what just happened here. We want the absolute best information. I, you know, that one, I might have been able to take a stab at it. I kind of know that would be an inflation issue, but I don't have that anywhere near that depth of knowledge you have. And we did one episode of your show, Smashing Success. We had tons of calls and questions. So we know there's a huge need for this information, for good information around alignments and tires. And you've stepped up to do a show. So why don't you tell everybody about it? Well, thank you, sir. We are doing a show every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern on Kevin Rutherford's Let's Truck Group. Uh, it's called the Rolling Toe Show. And he said the first time we did one Sunday night, we had some mess-ups with the technical, getting the mics and everything to work right. But we got through the show. And if you call in at 347-637-1067, that's the call-in number. And if you'll push one once you've called in, that'll put you up in the queue to, for us to go to and ask questions. If you don't push one, you can just listen. I'll, I'll say the number again. It's 347-637-1067 at 9 p.m. each Sunday night. And uh, we're being sponsored by Road King Shocks, which we appreciate the heck out of that because we do this stuff for free and we have expenses that need to be covered. And uh, we'll see if we can do anybody any good. Absolutely. And, you know, I, one of the things I want to say to people about a show like this is don't wait until you have a tire problem to listen the first time. If you own a truck and a trailer or a truck and a, or a trailer, you are going to have tire problems. It will happen someday. If you, if you haven't had them by now, you've just been lucky. So what I love about shows like this is I may not have an issue I need to deal with right now, but every time I listen, I learn something. And then when I do have a problem, I go, oh, I remember a guy called with that exact problem. So let me try that first. It may or may not be because sometimes there are multiple things that could cause the same issue. But the more I listen, the more things I can just go check myself. So I just want to encourage people. This is a specific show about tire wear and alignment. It's interesting information. But even if you don't have a problem, tune in and learn. This is just good stuff to know. Education never hurts you. That's right. So, again, I'll, I'll let you get back to your busy day, and I, I thank you for taking your time out and answering that question for us. Be glad to help anytime, my friend. You have a good day. Right. Take care. Let's see. I'm going to squeeze in another call here. Let's go to Kansas City. Brandon, welcome to the program. 
Good. What's on your mind today? Got it. So I've got it here in front of me. We've got a Cummins ISM. Okay. And what year is it? It's an 07. Okay. So help me out here because on the smaller engines, I'm not as clear on when the emissions changed. And 07, it clearly has EGR, right? Yeah, it has EGR, yeah. But no DPF. All right. So I know where we stand on that. Um, the first thing that jumps out at me, obviously, is the fuel dilution. And um, it's not horrible because we now consider two to be kind of normal. And you're at th 3.9. So you're kind of borderline where I say we should take some action or not. But there are some other indications that we do have fuel in the oil. We're, we're starting to see some increased lead and iron. Um, not horrible yet, but you know, it, it, there's something going on. What is your normal oil change interval? Uh-oh, did I lose him? Brandon, are you still with me? No, I lost Brandon. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to, hopefully you'll be able to hear this when you listen to the show. Uh, I'm going to recommend that you just change the oil and let's do another sample in 15,000 miles and see what's going on. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Routh. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. We're off to Michigan. Melissa, welcome to the program. Uh, let me try that again. I have to press the right button. Melissa, it's your turn. Go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. I'm, okay, great. Um, I have a couple of things I wanted to ask and but I want to make a comment on what you said yesterday about like how um, we present as the drivers, how we should look at professionally. I just yes. want to say that, um, you know, when you said that, told that story, it made me think about my cousin that was like working in a factory and like was like, everybody was like saying how whenever, you know, he would dress up in a shirt and a suit and he would go to the factory. He would take that off and put his other clothes on. And then he would like come back and take a shower and then put his clothes back on. He was always wanted to look prim and proper. I think, you know, that was something that was like in a society. I think it was like more exemplified, you know, everybody 
it, and it was like maybe Napoleon Hill had something to do with it. You know, it's like you have to dress for success kind of thing. But now, you know, there was this like Woodstock and the freedom of like who you are. You should express yourself and you should not be like, you know, um, you're, you, what you wear, you should be judged by what you wear, but what person you are. So I think that kind of ideas and that notion implicated the society. And so I think we kind of don't care anymore. We should be looked at as who we are and how we behave, not how we look. I don't know. Well, you me, know that was my address. comment. Yeah, let me address that because I'm not a big stickler on what you wear. Like, I, I wear what you want, really. It, but there's a difference between wearing something that's out of the ordinary and you're just trying to express your own personality. There's there's a big difference between that and just being a slob, being dirty, wearing stuff with holes in it and stains. And, and look, I, I we're truck drivers. I get it. You're going to get dirty while you work. That's not what I'm talking about. You can clearly tell the difference between somebody who got up this morning, put on reasonably clean clothes and got dirty throughout the day. You can tell the difference between that guy and somebody who's been wearing the same stuff for four days it, and, and just doesn't present themselves well. And let me tell you, as far as the norms go, I break the norms all the time. It, it, I was told when I first started speaking. I don't, people would tell me it doesn't matter what your audience wears, doesn't matter what your audience expects. Professional speakers should have a jacket and a tie. That's the standard, that's the norm. And I said, you know what? I really don't care. Um, I don't like ties. Uh, my audience certainly isn't going to wear them when it's truck drivers. So I'm going to be comfortable. And I, 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 you've seen me on stage. I wear jeans, tennis shoes, and a button up mechanic shirt. Now, that's not standard speaker attire, but you know what? It's clean. It, it represents our brand and what we do, and it well. Now, if I go speak at a, an industry event where there are executives, CEOs, business owners, I still don't wear the typical business attire. The most I have ever worn, um, the most I've ever gotten dressed up to speak, still a pair of uh, a black pullover shirt and a sport coat that that's as dressed up as I'm going to get. And I tell groups that all the time. Look, if you require your speakers to wear a jacket and tie, then don't hire me because I'm not doing that. That's not me. It's not my brand. It's not what I'm comfortable with. So I'm fine being out of the norm. And look, I live in Oregon. Talk about weird. You can wear whatever you want here. Nobody cares. And I'm okay with that. But, but there's a difference between being different, wearing something unique, and just being a slob. And I, I'm talking about people just being slobs. Yeah, I, I get that, but I'm just talking about in general in society. I mean, I don't condone, like I said, I don't condone one or the other. And I think, you know, if there was a more emphasis on, like, you know, being in a uniform or just presenting yourself clean and proper i mean that should be like what our manners are you know what i mean we should respect the way we look and respect what others you know see in us but well here's the other thing hey 
you mentioned, you know, shouldn't we pay more attention to their actions, their words? Yeah, absolutely. That that's what I look for. And I don't care what color they are. I don't care what height they are. I don't care what nationality they are. I don't care much about their weight. But there are certain things about appearance that does tell me something about that character. And I do care about character. I care about results. And people who are overly sloppy in their appearance and their hygiene, that does tell me something about their character. And very seldom do you ever find somebody who is sloppy in appearance but is just outstanding at a bunch of other things. That almost doesn't happen. When people are right, good at something, right. when they care about something, they care enough about their own appearance to at least be, again, somewhat neat and clean. I don't care if they wear purple jumps. I, I really don't. I mean, if you like purple yeah. jumpsuits, then wear one, but at least keep it somewhat clean and neat. So and at the end of the day, it's still, you know, what you look like and what you wear and how your truck looks like, it still reflects what your service might, you know, when it comes down to that. So, anyway, well, I also have a question. Go ahead. <laughs> about my tax. You know, I had like dollar um, eighty all miles, my income, and 102000 out of hundred. And 37000 was like my expenses on the truck. You know, just repairs and stuff and other stuff. So I think because I had a lot of major stuff, 47 was like my fuel and 49 was like repairs and maintenance and tools. and. Wait, when you say, say 49, are you talking about 49 cents a mile? No, forty nine thousand. I don't know. I didn't do the mile uh, per mile. Okay. I didn't do that this time. Well, even I, even talking about. Okay, so let let's just make some assumptions. At forty nine thousand, if you only drove a hundred thousand miles, that would be forty nine cents a mile. If you drove two hundred, I drove seventy seven thousand miles, seventy eight thousand miles. That's it. I yeah. And then I you're talking about revenue is good for the miles. Revenue is excellent for the miles. The maintenance cost is outrageous. Like, I know. So I had major stuff about. going on. Well, it's more than. I mean, you, you, you've got to look at that number harder because I, I, in some ways, I don't think you're managing your maintenance. Well, or you're not. It's not even maintenance. I, I had a, a clutch problem. I had a. Um, Wait. I had three toes. That Hold on. Three towing. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Stop a second. We, we have to pick a word. Every time I say it, I don't want to say maintenance, repairs, upgrades, fixing, tow. When I use the word yeah. maintenance, in general, I mean everything we spend to either fix the truck maintain the truck, repair the truck, tow the truck, upgrade the truck. I, I mean, all of those things combined. It's right. just easy. Yeah. One word. So I, I'm, I'm, I know that you've got, a, but a clutch that's clearly maintenance or repairs. You're fixing the truck. Even if we throw tools in your number is so far out of the norm. I mean, yeah number is triple and quadruple 
what I would normally see. You've got to take well, a hard look at why. Well, the reason why is because I don't really do anything on my truck. I had everybody no, else on. work on hold it. On. Hold on. I don't either. I know how, but I most of the time throughout my career, I did not work on my own trucks. I decided to work on the business, let somebody else work on the trucks. And even letting somebody do all of my maintenance, every I, down to the point where there was a time I wasn't even taking my own oil samples because it was too much trouble for me to get over there when they were due. So I had my shop taking my, my oil samples. So literally they were doing everything and I was able to keep my maintenance cost at six and seven cents a mile. You're at 50 something. I could, I could hire a full-time mechanic and keep him standing by in a garage waiting for me to pull in and I wouldn't spend as much as you'd spend. Well, I, on my clutch costed me $10,000. Why? Because That's my- it was misdiagnosed and then it was messed up. Okay, and so then this is I had to do it all over again and it wasn't just the clutch, figure. it was the bell housing and I, all right. The- you 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 haven't built that relationship with the mechanic that would make sure you didn't spend ten thousand dollars on a clutch. That's my point. Your whole maintenance program is out of whack. Way out of whack. I wish I had more time. Let's tackle that on a weekend show where I have more time to work with you. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I know that was a couple segments short of uh, two hours, but we did uh, about an hour and a half worth of recording time. So uh, we've just got a lot going on here today. I'm going to wrap this up and we will see you back here tomorrow and uh, we'll do it again. Thanks. for tuning in to the audio road if you have any questions give us a call at 855-800-FUEL that's 855-800-3835 check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash let's truck